Hi everyone, welcome to your San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. After crossing the border in Texas, asylum-seeking families are being flown to San Diego and released into Tijuana without the chance to apply for help. Reporter Kate Morrissey has the story. Then, fourth-generation fisherman Tommy Gomes has his own news show and is this week's guest on Name Drop San Diego. First, the news. Tens of thousands of San Diego area students returned to their classrooms Monday. Their districts were among the last in the county to open campuses for in-person instruction. It had been more than a year since schools were widely open in San Diego Unified, Chula Vista Elementary, San Ysidro Elementary, Sweetwater Union High, and Lemon Grove Elementary districts. In San Diego Unified, officials were expecting roughly half of the 97,000 or so students to return this week. A recent parent survey showed that 73% of families wanted to return to campus and 27% wanted to stay home and continue distance learning. The San Diego Superior Court will continue to use emergency authorization from the state court leader to extend legal deadlines for holding some arraignments and trials. In an application, presiding Judge Lorna Alksney wrote that officials are working on a plan to hold all such hearings within the legal timeline of 48 hours after an arrest. Under the new order signed Tuesday, the court can take up to seven days after an arrest to arraign someone. The order is good through May 5th. One year after closing boot camp graduations to the public, the Marines said in a statement Monday that they're ready to welcome the public back onto the grounds of the Recruit Depot in San Diego. Beginning April 22nd, each graduating Marine will be able to invite two guests to attend graduation and tour facilities at the base, the statement said. The Marines hold about 40 graduations per year in San Diego. The Biden administration has flown about 2,000 asylum-seeking families with children from Texas to San Diego, where they're expelled from the United States into Mexico without a chance to request protection. Tijuana has been receiving about 100 expelled people a day from those flights, according to the Mexican consulate in San Diego. Kate Morrissey covers immigration at the UT. Kate, what do we know about these families? Where are they from? And why are they being expelled while others, uh, other families are being allowed to remain here? So these families are um, generally from Central American countries, specifically Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador. Um, most of the people that I met were from Honduras, but there were a few from the other, other countries as well. Um, and they are being um, flown to San Diego after crossing the like easternmost part of the border. So the, the other end of the border um, in Texas is where they're crossing. And then they're being flown to the entire other end of the border here in San Diego to be um, expelled across the border to Tijuana, um, and other than that, you know, most of them are families with children. A lot of them have children under the age of seven. Um, I don't think, I don't think we, I don't think there's much else about them that would distinguish them from any other person or group that is, that is having a different outcome when they cross the border. It's, it's kind of random. 
And so do we know why people are being flown uh, here to San Diego to be released to Mexico? So what I've been told from Border Patrol is that um, the San Diego sector is helping the Rio Grande Valley sector with processing. So if you look um, sort of at the the width uh, or the length of the border, Rio Grande Valley is like maybe 14% of the actual like border with Mexico. And it's at the, the far end again, and at the, at the other end of the border. But um, last month, for example, like fit more than 50% of the crossings were happening in that sector. So people are, are choosing to cross specifically into the Rio Grande Valley area. Um, and part of that is historical. In, in recent years, we've seen that be um, very much a hotspot for asylum seekers to cross for, for a long time. And I think that's being exacerbated now because word started to get out that um, if you crossed there, you had a better chance of being released instead of expelled because um, the, the, the Mexican state, Tamaulipas, that's, that's south of that region, um, stopped accepting expulsions of certain families, generally families with children under the age of seven. And so people thought, oh, well, if I cross there, maybe we'll actually make it in. And so then there were so many people crossing there um, that they've decided to fly some of those uh, families to other places. There have also been flights to El Paso for processing. Um, and this is that strategy in itself is not new. Several years ago, when there was a concentration of crossings there, we had flights coming to San Diego for processing um, by our Border Patrol because Border Patrol here was not as busy. Um, the difference is that now those families are being expelled instead of being released here. And, and part of that, you know, is because it seems like maybe they can't be expelled in Texas. So they're being flown here so that they can be. OK, so people are being dropped off here at the border without a chance to request protection, which is why they came to the border to begin with. Will they be allowed to do so in the future or are they forbidden entirely? So there's no legal bar against them making that request in the future. Um, and actually, when you're looking at the difference between an expulsion and a deportation, a deportation leaves like more of a black mark on your record than an expulsion does. So in, in that sense, um, what's on their immigration records now would not keep them from being able to ask in the future. I think the bigger question is when is anybody going to be allowed to request asylum? because um, we've heard a lot of promises from the Biden administration about creating a humane system. And the administration has ended the um, so-called Remain in Mexico program, which required asylum seekers to do their court cases basically from Mexico. They would cross, go to immigration court, go back across to Mexico and wait again for their next hearing. Um, and so those folks are being processed in every day through ports of entry now to, to end that program that was created by the Trump administration. Um, but we have not started any other asylum processing at the ports of entry, except for families that have a family member with extremely serious medical conditions that managed to find an attorney that can make a petition to say, hey, this is an extremely vulnerable family, they need to come across now. Um, there's like, you know, a handful of those folks who are getting across, but other than that, 
um, anybody who's been waiting in Mexico, who's been who's been stuck because of the numerous other policies that were enacted um, under the previous administration, and um, including these expulsions, which started around the beginning of the pandemic, um, they're all just stuck, and and we don't know when they're going to be allowed to actually present their case and start the asylum screening process. That's not clear to anybody. Um, you spoke to asylum seekers who were flown here uh, and are waiting in migrant shelters. They they told you essentially they feel tricked in some cases. Uh, what did they say? So they said that when they were apprehended by Border Patrol after crossing in Texas, um, they were taken to the Border Patrol's holding cells and they were told to throw all of their belongings away. So if they were carrying, you know, a diaper bag for their young child, if they were carrying a blanket, if they had extra jackets or sweaters, um, their shoelaces, which they have to remove when they go into custody, which my understanding is that's for sort of a, a suicide prevention measure that people are, are made to take their shoelaces off when they go into custody. That's happened for a long time, but normally they get their shoelaces back when they come out. In this case, um, they, they told me that they were made to throw everything away. They're put in holding cells for several days and that, and they were fingerprinted and they were asked, you know, who are you going to stay with? And they told, you know, this is my family member's phone number in like this location. Um, and then they were told, okay, you're going to get on a plane to go to San Diego to this shelter that's going to reunite you with your family faster. And so they get on the plane and then the next thing they know, they're in Mexico, in Tijuana, um, at this, you know, church that's become a migrant shelter with a pastor telling them, hi, welcome to Mexico. Okay, so I wanted to ask about minors uh, who have been crossing the border by themselves. The federal government says they have about 20,000 children in custody, and there are projections that that could reach uh, 35,000 by the summer. Um, you know, unaccompanied minors are not being turned away, but but could that change? From, from what we have been told, the Biden administration is receiving unaccompanied children and, and creating more space in order to, to keep receiving them. There were a couple of rumors floating around about the possibility of older teens getting expelled at some point, but I, I want to clarify that was just a rumor. I was never able to confirm that information. I have not seen any uh, movement on, on those rumors in, in recent days. And so um, you know, who knows if that's something that's coming in the future or not. Um, what we do know is that there's a lot of movement on the U.S. side to try to create spaces to be able to hold more children who are in federal custody from the border. Um, and I think, you know, that ties back into these expulsions because um, some parents are making the decision knowing that their child will not be expelled if the child crosses by themselves. They're making decisions to send the child alone across the border um, so that, you know, in, in their mind, that the child can be more protected or, or receive the care that they need while the parent continues to, you know, struggle in these, these difficult conditions in Mexico. Um, that was something that we saw back under the Remain in Mexico program. And it's something that we're seeing again now with these expulsions. And I wrote about a woman in my article from this weekend who was from Honduras, um, <clears throat> who, who made that decision. She came to the border with her two sons. One of them was 14. Um, and that son had recently um, been 
you know, shot full of bullets and somehow survived and, and her husband did not survive that shooting. And so, you know, when they got to the border and, and she saw like, we're getting expelled as a family and she heard that her son could get in by himself, she sent him in so that he could get the medical care that he needed. He could get the psychological care that he needed from going through the trauma of, of being shot. Um, and she and her younger son continued to try to cross together and they ended up expelled to Tijuana while her 14 year old son is now with other family in the United States. And so I think the expulsion policy is contributing to the number of unaccompanied children. Um, the number of unaccompanied children that we're seeing now is higher than, um, it's been on a monthly basis. If you if you look back through when uh, Customs and Border Protection started tracking that number, but I also think it's important to talk about um, that not being the main reason why the number is as high as it is. Nor are the arriving families the reason why the the last monthly stat that everyone was like, oh my gosh, this is the, you know, the highest number in 20 years is because of single adults, mostly from Mexico. And part of the reason why um, we're seeing that increase, I think ties back to the, the pandemic and the economic struggles that that's put people under in Mexico. And this expulsion policy, which does not um, put the same blemish on your record that a deportation does, if you get deported and then a few years later you meet the love of your life and they happen to be a U.S. citizen and you want to get a visa to come to the U.S., you're probably not going to be able to do that. If you just have an expulsion, um, it's not going to have that same effect. And so, um, you know, that's kind of a separate conversation, but it's all all sort of tied together. And so I think, you know, there's there's a lot of focus on the children coming as, as um and there's a lot of focus on the families, but the actual like biggest number is neither of those groups. And so I, I also think that's really important to point out. Has there been any indication from the Biden administration about when they might start um, accepting new asylum applications? No, <laughs> I wish I had a better answer, but no, we don't know. Um, we've seen when we when reporters ask. Uh, you know, in the in the White House press briefings about what's going on at the border, there's a lot of talk about long-term work to try and address root causes in in the home countries. Uh, but that's going to take a lot of time, and we also don't know how successful that will be. You know, when you look at um, how well we're doing as a country with um, addressing issues of gun violence, for example. And, and how well are we going to do at addressing that in a place like Honduras? I don't know. Um, in the meantime, we're probably going to have a lot of people fleeing what's happening there. And I have yet to see um, something concrete come out from the administration about what that's going to look like. Now for opinion. Abby Hamblin is an opinion editor and producer at the UT. She and I co-host Name Drop San Diego, a weekly interview podcast about people in, around, and from San Diego. Abby, our guest this week is Tommy Gomes. He's a fourth-generation fisherman from here in San Diego. What else can you tell us about him? 
Right. So on one hand, you might know this person, um, Tommy Gomes. On the other hand, you might not. Either way, you're going to get something out of this episode. Um, he is pretty famous in the local fishing community, uh, but he he's even more famous now because he's gotten this TV show called Tommy the Fishmonger on the Outdoor Channel. And so we wanted to catch up with him and talk to him about the show, uh, what his future plans are. Uh, he worked for something called Catalina Offshore Products for many years, and he's recently decided to kind of go solo and do his own thing. He trademarked the name Tommy the Fishmonger, and you know he's hoping to have multiple seasons of this show. So just an interesting time for his life, and he's just quite a character uh, to know here in San Diego. Yeah, definitely a character. He, you know, shared a lot of his life story with us. What stood out to you? I think, well, first of all, his tales from uh, his commercial fishing life were pretty interesting and really uh, kind of emotional. He actually teared up a little bit talking about that. Um, I think just the kind of education that he's trying to do uh, was really eye-opening. We talked to him um, you'll hear on the upcoming clip about, you know, what kind of local fish there are here and um, what we should be eating and what he recommends. And then um, he just really, really advocates for local fishermen. He says it's kind of a not dying, but just kind of shrinking and changing industry. Um, a lot of the ways that fishermen and women um, worked in the past decades and in his family's life have changed. And he's just trying to reconnect the people who live in San Diego with the fishermen uh, who aren't always maybe their best um, spokespeople for themselves. You know, they're busy, but he is like a hype man for all San Diego uh, fishing boats and people and um, just really wants people to eat the seafood that comes straight to them. And I think sometimes people don't know how or where or what to do or kind of what's going on around San Diego with fishing. So he has a lot to say about that. Uh, he'll totally, you know, make you feel like, oh, I could go um, get something that was just fresh caught, you know, versus just eating in a restaurant. So anyway, a lot to learn. I feel like he shared a lot that I didn't know personally. Yeah, same. It was definitely an education about like why eating sustainable fish is so important. And like you said, where to get it, you know, like I feel like excited about it now that I sort of, you know, know what to, what fish to look for, where to go, Um yeah, he definitely opened my eyes to that. And also, you know, he's so open about um, his personal story, you know, like he has had a hard past, he struggled with addiction. Um, and, and he's overcome that. And he talks about how he did it, um, you know, and how he tries to encourage others to do it. But uh, just like a really cool, open, you know, vulnerable, and uh, storied guy. So let's go ahead and let's go ahead and end on a clip from the interview. Can you set it up for us? So this is a question about what actual kinds of fish can we get here in San Diego that have been caught um, right off the uh, beaches and the shoreline here and um, kind of how he thinks that people should think about what they eat when it comes to the local seafood that's caught. So good stuff. You know, there's all there's dozens and dozens of different rock fish and they're all different and they all taste good. Um, you know, a one and a half pound, two pound rockfish. Most people want to fillet it because they want to make fish tacos. And I'm just like, no, <laughs> eat the whole fish. You're an adult, play with your food, get in there and eat that whole thing. Bake it, barbecue it, deep fry it, do what you want to do with it, but don't fillet it because you only get a little, you know, you get two tacos out of it where if you eat the whole fish, a two pound fish will feed two people with rice and a salad and some vegetables. And you got a great meal. Um, Yellowtail, white sea bass, 
mackerel, anchovies. If the big fish eat the small fish, why aren't we eating the small fish? You know, hashtag eat bait. You say, <laughs> oh, try these live mackerel. And people go, oh, I don't eat bait. Well, neither do I. I eat mackerel. Mm. See, And they're great on a barbecue and stuff. So we just need to re-educate people on, on what to eat when it comes to seafood. Now, with that, I want you to think about this because, I mean, we're all kind of foodies in a way and you shop by the seasons for your fruits and vegetables, right? Right. Why don't you shop for your seafood by the season? You know, if it's summertime and the yellowtail are running, buy yellowtail and you can bake that, you can broil it, barbecue it, you can eat it raw, you can do the collar, you know, the comma, all of this stuff is great. And if you can learn to utilize the whole fish, it'll stretch that dollar even further because you don't kill a pig to make bacon, although bacon makes the world a better place, <laughs> at least eat the whole fish and get in the game and try and, and learn as much as you can. You can subscribe to Name Drop San Diego wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Christy Totten, host of the San Diego News Fix. Thank you to Abby Hamblin for filling in for me last week, and thank you for listening.